When Jesus Christ entered Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday, he went in on this little donkey to to cries and, and shouts of praise and excitement. People were thrilled that Jesus Christ was coming into Jerusalem. It was a king's welcome. It was an amazing experience for those who were there, certainly. And no one would have gathered, no one would have ever thought that in that moment that Jesus is just a few days away from being crucified, that things could turn so quickly from shouts of affirmation and praise to shouts of crucify him, crucify him. Well, Jesus knew what was coming, and his first stop as he came into Jerusalem was the temple. Now, the temple in Jerusalem that Jesus went into was a temple that had been rebuilt from a rebuilt temple from a tabernacle or a tent. And to understand kind of what that all meant for the people of God, you got to go way back in their history to the time when they were living as slaves in Egypt. And God sent Moses to deliver them from Egypt, and they And Moses led them out of Egypt into the wilderness where they were going to follow God to the land that he had set aside for his people. On the way to the land, God gave them this gift called the tabernacle. It was a tent, a tent of meeting where God would meet with Moses inside this tent and share with Moses what was going to be happening, where they were going to be going. Then Moses would come out and lead the people. Now, what was really cool about the tent of meeting or the tabernacle is the people could actually see the presence of God. He would come by a cloud by day, fire by night. They could see his presence. They could be affected by the reality of his presence. They could hear what Moses was saying about what God had said. And they were a people who were experiencing the presence of God. That's why God gave them the tabernacle. So that they could be a people who experienced the presence of God. So much so that it moves them to worship and follow and honor him. You move forward down their history and you get to a guy named King Solomon. And he takes the tabernacle and he changes it into a a stationary building, the temple. And he builds the first temple. And then you go forward and that temple is rebuilt. Then it's rebuilt. Jesus is walking into that temple. And all along from the tabernacle to the temple that Jesus walked into... God's intention was that his people would experience his presence in that place and be changed by him and willing to follow him because of who he is. Jesus walked into that temple right after he entered Jerusalem, just days before he would be crucified. We see the scene unfold in Matthew chapter 21. And I would love to read that passage to you. If you have your Bible, you want to read along with me, Matthew chapter 21 starting in verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done, and the children who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant and said to him, do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you prepared praise for yourself? And then he left. Now, why did Jesus make the temple his first stop 
when he came into Jerusalem in that triumphant entry, knowing that just in a few days he would be headed to the cross. Our first clue comes from something in the Old Testament, not even in this text. There was a promise made to King David, king over God's people, a long time before this moment. And God said to David, your son, this is in 1 Chronicles chapter 17, verses 13 and 14. God told David, your son will be established in my house. So God tells David, one of your descendants is going to be established in my house, and he's going to sit on my throne forever. God's promise to David was that a descendant of David's would actually be king and priest over his people, reigning and ruling from the temple. Jesus walks into the temple right here if it comes into Jerusalem in order to foreshadow what he is going to accomplish. He is going to fulfill that promise. He is going to become the king and the priest who rules over God's people, bringing forth a righteous reign and salvation to the people God has extended his love. So Jesus is foreshadowing a fulfillment of a promise that's going to happen at the cross. The other reason that Jesus comes into the temple is found in the text. So he walks into the temple, and the first thing he does is he goes around turning over the tables and the chairs of the people who are selling stuff in there. There's a lot of detail and background to that, but the important point is that Jesus went in there and turned things upside down because he didn't like what was happening. You don't know how bad I wanted this morning during the first song to come up here and just start ripping the stage apart. I really did. I thought it would be an incredible illustration, but I felt like there would be too much time between I ripped it apart and the time I told you it was actually an illustration. <laughs> but can you imagine the feeling of being in a church service and somebody coming in and just ripping things apart and then saying to you, this is supposed to be a place of prayer, but you've turned it into a place of robbers. Now what Jesus did when he made that statement to those in the temple were conducting their business there. He was quoting two Old Testament passages, and he brought those two Old Testament passages together to create an indictment against the people. One of the passages is out of Isaiah chapter 56. In Isaiah chapter 56, there's a passage there that details the first part of what Jesus said, my house is to be a house of prayer. Now in that passage in verse 6 and Isaiah chapter 56, you'll see that the end of that phrase says, my house is to be a house of prayer for all peoples. That whole chapter in Isaiah is about God saying to his people, a foreigner, somebody who's not an Israelite, can come into my temple and find that their worship is accepted by me if they will trust me. If they believe in me and they come in this temple, no matter where they come from, no matter who they are, no matter how much they understand what it means to be my people, I want them to know that my house is supposed to be a place where every single person on the face of the earth can come and find that their worship is acceptable to me. And the people of God were not doing that. No, the people of God were not acting that way. God wanted them to know this is what it's supposed to be like. So Jesus walks into the temple and says, you guys are supposed to be conducting something here that enables everybody that enters this place to experience the presence of God in a life-changing way so that when they leave this place, they live a life of worship, and you're not doing it. 
And then he quotes the second Old Testament passage, Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 9 through 11. And the piece that we get out of that passage is you make it a robber's den. If you go back to that passage of Jeremiah, what you're going to discover is that God's people in that time were being told by Jeremiah that God was not pleased with how they'd been living. Because they've been living in all kinds of immorality, brokenness, idolatry, worshiping foreign gods, and then walking into the temple of God and thinking, hey, now that we're in God's temple, we'll be delivered from all the bad stuff we've been doing. We're good to go. And God told his people, that's not how this works. You cannot just live any way you want to, walk into my house, and everything just be okay because that's not, this is not a magical house. No, this is a place where I intend you to experience my presence and be so transformed by who I am that you leave this place and live a life of worship. And God actually told Jeremiah, he said, Jeremiah, I'm bringing judgment on these people. And I encourage you, don't even pray for them. Because even your prayer will not turn away my judgment upon them. Now that is a severe indictment. And Jesus is quoting that passage to those who are in the temple conducting this business. And he says to them, this is supposed to be a place of worship for all people. And you are not worshiping God. They were missing it. The greatest evidence of the fact that they were missing it is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God who has taken on flesh so that we might know the Lord and follow Him, has walked into His own temple. God in the flesh, the Son of God, has walked into His temple, and they simply are missing who He is and why He came. They were not worshiping. Jesus indicted them over this, and then Jesus gives them a great reason to actually adjust their lives and heart to what he intended them to do in his temple. Everybody that's gathered in the temple that has something wrong with them, there were blind people there. There were lame people there. He begins to heal them all. So just think about that. You're in a building that's intended to experience the presence and the power of God so that you are moved to a life of worship. Here you are, and somebody that's been born blind, blind all their life, somebody that's been lame, they've never walked, some people they've never seen anything. They've never seen colors. They've never seen light. They've never seen anything. All of a sudden, Jesus Christ heals them. Don't you think in that moment, there were some people jumping up and down, screaming, running around, excited, looking like Kurt Prater on the stage? Sometimes I just think, I got to live vicariously through that guy because I'm never doing that. I mean, that's what they were doing. They were going crazy. They were worshiping the Lord. They were absolutely amazed at the experience of God's power and presence through the person of Jesus Christ. And they were worshiping. In fact, there was a group of kids there watching this unfold. And those those kids just started singing out, Hosanna to the son of David. Do you realize what those kids were saying in that moment? Those kids in that moment, on the basis of what they're experiencing in the temple of God, were saying, Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is the one we've been looking for. He is the king. And now he's coming to the temple to show us how to worship God. He's here with us that we might know Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And they're worshiping Hosanna to the Son of David. And the leaders in the temple, they get mad. They are hacked off about this. Because they know that if they accept what those kids are saying is right, that Jesus is the Messiah, then they have to surrender to Jesus Christ. And they do not want to accept him as the Messiah. So they ask him a question. 
Do you hear what these kids are saying? Yeah, I hear it. And then he turns it back on them. Have you not ever read? And then he quotes Psalm 8. It's a psalm of praise to God. And he quotes it to him. He says, have you never read from the mouths of kids just like this? You have prepared praise for yourself. Jesus did not intend them to answer that question. This was not really a question. This was one of the most unbelievable statements that Jesus made prior to going to the cross. Here he is in his temple receiving worship that only is appropriate to give to God and Jesus Christ says it's appropriate that I'm receiving that in my house right now. And then he leaves. He just walks right out. After dropping the mic, he just walks out. Amazing picture. Jesus left that moment because he had work to do. He had a much more significant task to take up. There was another temple that required his attention. And so he leaves. In just a short time, Jesus will say, and it's, it's quoted in Matthew chapter 26, verse 61. Jesus will say, you destroy this temple. And in three days, I'll raise it up again. Jesus is no longer talking about the temple that is built in Jerusalem. Now Jesus is talking about the temple of his body. And that he was going to give his life to death on the cross. So that by way of his death, he would enter into a much more significant tabernacle or temple and accomplish a much more significant work securing worship for all of us. See, if all he had done is walk into that temple that was built in Jerusalem and said, here's how it's supposed to be, poured out his, his grace and his mercy to those people, they worshiped their change, and he walked out of there, and that's all he did, we, we would have no hope today. But that's not all he did. He walked into that temple that day because there was a much more significant temple he's going to walk into in just a few days. And he did it on the cross. I want you to hear this passage in Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered into the holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. That day when Jesus walked into the temple, he gave them a little glimpse of what he was fixing to accomplish. Notice Jesus, when he walked into the temple, did not say, in order to experience the presence of God, we've got to go into the holy of holies behind the veil. Remember, Moses met in a little tent came out and told people about God, well, what happened was the high priest would go into a little room and he would meet with God and come out and tell people about what God had done. When Jesus came into the temple that day, he didn't go to the Holy of Holies because he is God. And wherever he goes is the Holy of Holies. He just poured out his grace and his power right there in that moment and everybody got to see, we don't have to go behind the veil, he's here. 
What Jesus Christ has done, the moment he died, he cried out right before he died, it is finished. You know what was finished? Our freedom, our forgiveness, our brokenness was healed. And at that moment it was finished, the the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom, never to be brought back together again. The way to Jesus Christ, to God the Father, the Holy of Holies, was paved. So the separation that we had by our own sin was done away with in the death of Jesus Christ. It is finished. But he didn't stay in that grave, amen? No, he came out of that grave overcoming sin and death. And his followers saw him, they experienced him over the course of 40 days. Hundreds of people saw him and experienced many convincing truths that he was truly alive. Jesus was alive from the dead. The veil was torn and the way was made wide open for everyone to know that God was ready to accept their worship. And so what God did is he sent his spirit, the spirit of Jesus Christ was sent to us after Jesus ascended to be with the Father, waiting for the day he returns. He sent his spirit to be with us. Do you see the significance of this? Jesus Christ says, I've got business to do with a temple, but it's not this temple standing in Jerusalem. It's not that tabernacle that God gave you when it all began. No, I'm going to take it on myself. Give my life for you. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19, 20. Listen to this. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Through faith in Jesus Christ, everything that would separate us from knowing the presence of God, the power of God, the purpose of God has been abolished. Through faith in Jesus Christ by way of his death and resurrection, we have been forgiven so that now we are clean vessels. And we receive the presence of the Holy Spirit. So we place our faith in Jesus Christ. We become clean vessels because of the forgiveness of Christ. And we become a dwelling place of God's Spirit so that every single day, the rest of our lives, after placing our faith in Jesus Christ, We are in the presence of God. We get to experience the power of God and the purpose of God, the regular cleansing of God's power over all our sin. We are dwelling places of the Spirit of God so that now the Bible says of us, we are the temple of God. Do you see that? God gave a tabernacle because he wanted his people to know him. Then he gave them a temple because he wanted his people to know him. Then Jesus Christ came as the temple, presence of God and he gave himself no more sacrifices of bulls and goats once and for all a sacrifice so that all of us could be cleansed and made a vessel to experience the daily presence and power of God we are his temple 
all through the New Testament teachings to the churches in the beginning of the New Testament, there are statements about us being the temple of God, the dwelling place of the Spirit of God. Don't you know that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Don't you know that you are bought with a price? Don't you know that you are the church, the temple of God, and God said he will be with you and you will be with him? This is what he's promised, and we're experiencing it because Jesus is alive, and he resides with us by his Spirit so that Every single day we get to experience the grace and the joy of forgiveness and hope of forever. And as great as that is, that's not all there is. There's more to come. So much more to come. Years ago I read this article. And it was about the Wyoming Game and Fish Department. And they had, they had concocted a plan. And they, this is a predetermined plan, and they, what they did is they got this decoy bull elk. You see where this is going? And they set it out on the road, this remote road, at night, in order to see what happens. This is a, this is a plan, got it set out there, and while they're conducting the plan, 62 motorists passed the bull elk. Of the 62 motorists, nine stopped their car, pulled out a rifle, and shot that bull elk. Don't you wish you were there to see the expression on their face when they realized that plan was to bust them? It had to be terrible to realize that somebody had developed an entire plan only to bust them. If you've ever thought of God like that, like, like what he's been doing is setting this all up so that you'd be caught in your sin, that you be busted for what you've done wrong, I pray today you will think again. Because the plan of God was not to bust any of us for our sin. The plan of God was to crush Jesus Christ for all our sins so that through faith in him we might be forgiven of everything. Everything. He wants you to know if you placed your faith in him, he has washed you clean, so clean that now he, by way of his spirit, is with you. So that every single day the rest of your life, you can strive to live a life of worship that is made acceptable to God because of Christ and only Christ. And every day you taste and see that the Lord is good, you are getting a glimpse of what's coming. Revelation chapter 21, verse 3 says this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no longer any death, there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. There's coming a day when the first things will pass away. And Jesus Christ is going to return. And he's not coming again as a humble servant on the way to the cross. He's coming again as a reigning, righteous 
righteous king to set everything right, to make all wrongs right, and to redeem the people who have called on his name and worshiped him. And when he comes again, what we're going to find is that we get to dwell with him, and he gets to dwell with us, and everything that would have made us cry, mourn, weep, sick, or die is erased and eradicated, and we live in perfect communion with him forever. That's coming. That's where we're headed. Listen to this. Revelation chapter 20, 21 verse 22 says, I saw no temple in heaven, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun, no need of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. That's how significant it will be that Jesus Christ dwells with us and we dwell with him. We don't even need light anymore. He'll just light it all up by his glory, and we'll be living in perfect communion with God forever. That's where we're headed. That's what this is all about, and that's why we celebrate Easter. Jesus is alive. If you're here this morning, yeah, clap your hands, man. It's awesome. Listen, if you're here this morning and you've never made the decision to receive the gospel message of Jesus Christ, if you look in your worship guide, there's called a go deeper section. There's a prayer in there that you can pray as an expression of your faith in Jesus Christ and you can receive the gospel message and find that you have been made acceptable to God by the death of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you this morning that if you've never made that decision, that you would pray that prayer and trust and follow Jesus Christ. Now, receiving the gospel is something you must do in order to experience forgiveness of sins and the promise of eternal life. You cannot get forgiveness of sins by coming in this building. That's not how it works. The temple that Jesus walked into was made obsolete. There is no building you can walk into to make things right with God. Jesus Christ is the only way to be right with God. And you have to receive him in this message of the gospel. And receiving him is not like when you receive a traffic ticket. Anybody willing to confess? Have you ever received a traffic ticket and then called the county saying, hey, I haven't got a ticket in a long time. I don't plan on getting another one in a long time. Can we do something about this? And they say, well, there's this thing called deferred adjudication. You guys know about that? I read about it somewhere. <laughs> and what the judge typically says to you is, hey, if you keep your record clean for the next three years, then this violation will not appear on your record. We like that, but that's not how this message of the gospel works. We are all guilty of sin before God, and there's no amount of good deeds that we can do at any season in our life to make up for the fact that we have already sinned against God. There is no way to improve your record save trusting in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. This is not about a bargain that you're making with God to be a better person so that he doesn't hold you accountable for things you've done wrong. No, this is an all-out gift 
that you receive, that God paid for in full, that you might freely accept from him and he might cleanse you of all your sin and you might be so revolutionized by the power and the presence of God that you are compelled to live a life of worship for the rest of your life. That's what this means, to receive the gospel. And if you believe in Jesus Christ, you've trusted him, you've given him your life. I remember a while back, a neighbor of ours took uh, some, of, some of us out on this field, and he was driving this ATV, this big go-kart thing. I mean, it was massive, had a roll bar. It was like danger written all over it. Like, if you want to lose your life, jump into this thing. And he started offering rides to, to the people in the neighborhood. Um, he offered me a ride. I said, no thanks. You're crazy, and I'm not about to get in that vehicle with you. He offered Lindley a ride. She said, sure, let's go. <laughs> Check my manhood right there. She gets into things, she's buzzing all around, they're going crazy. Here's the thing that was so clear about that day. Everybody in the neighborhood knew who accepted the offer and who didn't. Because the people who accepted the offer, they got in and strapped in and held on for dear life. It was obvious. Trusting Jesus Christ is kind of like that. I'm going to give you my life, Lord, and I'm just going to strap in. I'm going to hold on to for dear life. I don't expect things to be necessarily easier. In fact, God's word says it could get harder. You're going to find yourself holding on for dear life. I want to trust Christ. You heard it in some of the testimonies. I intend to make the right choices. I'm going to keep trusting Christ. But here's what you'll discover. This is how beautiful the gift is. You're going to spend your life holding on for dear life, trusting Christ to keep you, and you're going to discover that all the while there was a safety harness on you, and you could have never been pitched from that vehicle. And the safety harness is Jesus Christ himself. When he saves you, he promises to keep you. The question is, have you received him? Have you believed in him? That's what today's about. All over the world today, there's not a single person who's visiting the grave of Jesus Christ because there isn't one. Amen? He's alive, and we celebrate Easter, and we leave this place today following a risen Savior. Amen. Good stuff. Amen.